Statistically Speaking is brought to you by Statista. Get your free trial today by visiting Statista.com and gain access to over 80,000 topics from over 18,000 sources. Welcome to Statistically Speaking, brought to you by Statista. My name is Eric Marmon. And I'm Zach Lloyd. And I'm Eamon Monaghan. Today we're going to look at our most popular infographics of the past week. Uh, Just a friendly reminder, you can actually have these infographics sent directly to your inbox every day. Just visit Statista.com, chart of the day, and sign up to get our daily infographics sent to you each and every morning. In today's Statistically Speaking, we'll be discussing the average annual spending on Amazon by user types, U.S. oil production being on the rise, America's most and least trusted professionals, the projected growth of U.S. recreational and medical marijuana sales, and America's smartphone addiction. Let's start today with Amazon. Now, according to the Consumer Intelligence Research Partners, uh, the average annual spending at Amazon.com by uh, user type was as such. All Amazon customers' annual spend um, on average $1,000. However, Prime members averaged slightly higher at $1,300, while Echo owners averaged $1,700. So for Amazon, it seems obvious getting intelligent uh, assistance into people's homes would be the best way to increase spending. Zach, so let me ask you, is that a trend that, that's going to continue? Yeah, well, first off, let me say I'm just a little bit biased here. Um, <laughs> I actually own an Echo as of about a month and a half ago. So I definitely think this is a trend that's going to increase. Uh, we're seeing huge numbers of Echo sales around the country. In just three months last year, June to September, we saw 5 million units sold just in the United States. So these Amazon owners are going to continue to ingratiate these new systems into their homes and they're going to use it to help them purchase new products and America is typically the land of instant gratification. What Amazon allows us to do is just simply add things into our cart from our home. You can even ask your robot butler to do it for you and it's there in two days. So I definitely think this is a trend that's going to be on the rise. I I actually don't. Again, also being biased uh, because I don't own Amazon (laughs) Echo. Um, But I don't think this is a trend that you're going to continue to see. Uh, Obviously, it makes sense from an Amazon perspective to push the device that uh, will allow for easier, more efficient uh, ways in which people can purchase. Uh, Simply saying, hi, Alexis, I would like to purchase X, Y, and Z makes sense. Uh, However, I don't think it's something that will continue. Uh, Much like many of the trends that we've seen, such as like the Snapchat glasses, uh, this is something that has a big bubble at the front. Five million units sounds like a big number. However, when you look at it in the total population of the United States, that's actually a very small percentage of Mm -hmm. units. And to be honest, I think what we're going to see is people seeing this as more of an invasion of privacy. This is corporate spying. The Amazon Echo is constantly listening. And I'm not sure when or why citizens, especially smart people like you, Zach, allowed (laughs) 1984 devices into your home. Uh, so I think this is something that's not going to change. From a sales perspective, as a prime Amazon customer, that is something that I, I find interesting and, and I think will remain uh, a constant boom for them. The more people you can get to sign up for Prime, the better. You get a lot of benefits from that. And the one click. One the, click. Uh, they're obviously adding video where you can get different... The new quick sell buttons. Have you seen these? Yeah. You can just throw them into your bathroom and click it whenever you run out of Colgate. Exactly. So those those are interesting, especially here in New York City uh, from a prime perspective where 
it gets delivered directly to your home. Right. Uh, you can do it from your office, um, and I think it's a trend that will continue. So for you, Prime, those numbers are going to continue to stay yeah. the same, if not grow. Um, intelligence assistance, that's a bubble. I think it's a bubble, and I think that uh, it's a cool gimmick right now, yeah. and I think it will fade, and you'll see that people may use it much like you would use kind of like uh, uh, any voice assistant, mm -hmm. and then it will die out. And we saw the same thing with Siri, where when Siri first came on iPhones, um, it was a big thing, and now they're not even, they're rarely advertising it at all. Um, I think for me, with um, the intelligence, uh, is that I need the visual when purchasing something. And so for me, there definitely is this tie to, I want to be able to see it, I want to be able to read reviews, and I'm not sure that Alexa necessarily prepares um, and, and provides those reviews in the same way. Um, I think if it's tied to perhaps a smart TV, um, as we get more into the connected homes, I think we could start to see the bubble rise again. But I agree that right now, I think uh, it, it may be more on the gimmicky side. But Zach, you obviously disagree. Well, I don't disagree. That's just, that's a point that I had thought of. Um, <laughs> I mean, I typically don't purchase things through my Alexa. I've done it maybe a handful of times. Okay, that was my next question. Is that, I, like, are yeah, you yeah. saying like, Alexa, get me more toothpaste? Yeah, it's typically something I don't have any kind of brand loyalty to or mm -hmm. anything that I need to read up a review on. Mm -hmm. I'll take the extra, you know, few minutes. And Alexa, a quarter of vodka, please. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and then you just get whatever she decides to send you. Yeah, whichever just vodka is in your Throw that right into my car. Alexa yeah. purchase of uh, vodka. Right. I See, I want the spying. I want to know when Alexa has figured out what my favorite vodka is. And then I say, Alexa, vodka. And it goes, absolutely, Gordon's coming your way. And Once like, Alexa the machine learns me. how to make you a Jim Gibson, then, then well, I'm it, set. It's yeah. a, it is a learning computer. Uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, once, once Alexa can make me a cocktail, I think uh, then, then it's a big win. Moving on to oil, uh, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the United States is set to become the world's biggest oil producer in 2018, a prediction the Trump administration seems intent on making a reality. They have a new plan just announced to open up over 90% of U.S. offshore territory to oil and uh, gas drilling in 2019. So, uh, Eamon, America is about to become the world's biggest oil producer. How excited should I be? Um, from my perspective, I think that this is a bit overblown. Number one, we only recently, over the last couple of years, surpassed previous production in 1980s, early 1980s. Uh, so this is kind of a regression back to the mean um, that we've had. Uh, but it, I think this is terrible news. I think you should not be excited. I think this is all very bad. Yeah. Offshore drilling, we've seen that trying to open up 90%, the devastation that you would do to Alaska, other places uh, within the continental United States and beyond, um, is a terrible idea. Uh, what we need to do is stop degrading our planet mm -hmm. and we should move into renew renewable energy and uh, clean air solution. However, that's something that we could do on our own from a um, you know, renewable energy perspective. There's no need to become the world superpower as it relates to oil. We've seen what happens in those countries. Uh, <laughs> it's not always positive. Uh, now again, the meddling and, and interactions within that is also a lot that we did. But this signals a, 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 a rollback of what we've attempted to do in terms of uh, the Paris Accord, uh, and saving our planet uh, from my perspective. Sure. And I, I can't really argue against you not wanting to destroy the planet because, <laughs> you know, I want a place to live that's nice as well. But let, let the record show Zach Lloyd is pro-planet. I'm pro-planet. <laughs> yeah. Pro-planet. But I do think that there is a silver lining behind this oil production. Um, I mean, it harkens us back, like you said, it's a rollback in terms of making these great steps forward in terms of the U.S. energy infrastructure. But it also is a rollback it's one of the most pro prosperous times that we've ever seen as a country 
it's the early 1950s. We haven't actually exported more oil than we've imported since 1953. And that was one of the most successful and well-enjoyed times of life for the American people. So now we're going to see ourselves grow to an oil production that surpasses countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia. This makes us less dependent on these countries. It increases our standing as a world power. And I think that's the, really the only silver lining we can find here. Now, I have to be honest that uh, my entire life's fortune is held in ExxonMobil MVP. <laughs> so from a personal, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. The stock is just it. dropping right my, now. Yeah, you're, exactly. Well, the stock is actually growing at, at, at this point. But uh, no, the stock is growing for me. And so from a personal perspective, it's great. Uh, but I think that much like you see in a lot of different things in the world, Sometimes you have to look beyond yourself to How save. How admirable, yeah. Uh, but, again, um, the denigration of the planet, I think, far outweighs. And to your point, Zach, when it relates to a boon uh, of industry, I think that we could accomplish the same as it relates to renewable energies. Thank we, sorry, Zach, go ahead. No, I just I think that you're absolutely right, and I don't think that that's going to grow or stop growing on the renewable side either. I mean, like you said, we've seen it happen with countries who start to run out of oil and the terrible things that are happening to their economies and the people that it affects. The but, road warrior. You know. Sure, yeah. yeah, like a Mad Max type of scenario. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm all in on a Mad Max future society. I, I think... Um, I think you would die in the first day. I, yeah. you know, I don't think you would make <laughs> you, it. You don't think I'm surviving no, in a Mad Max all, area? No, um, I mean... First of all, I think your dog would eat you first. You know <laughs> my what I mean? dog's having, you don't even own a dog. dog. Uh, that's that's terrifying. You don't even have to worry about other humans. You know, just... Proximity would happen. All right, but. so holes in the planet, bad. <laughs> being graded oil, good. Eric Marmon, not a survivor in a Mad Max yeah. Glory Road kind of situation. And keep the renewable energy infrastructure growing. That's Agreed. also a good. So I think you're we saying, all agree there. You're saying we should have a combination of all, not just... I don't think they have to be completely mutually excuse, exclusive. Can, can we be the world leader in renewable energy and also be awesome at oil? I think we've got some catching up to do, but yeah. uh, also I think... American ingenuity will take over, and we will absolutely eventually be the world leader in renewable energies. Great. Um, let's hop over to jobs for a sec. Um, according to a recent Gallup poll, 82%, I love this, 82% of U.S. adults say that nurses have high or very high honesty and ethical standards. That's the highest percentage of any job, of any professional, followed by military officers at 71% and grade school teachers at 66%. At the other end of the poll uh, was lobbyists with 8%, business executives at 16%, and lawyers at 18%. So before we hop into the data, let me ask you both, what are your most and least trusted professionals? Zach, I'll start with you. Uh, what job do you trust the least? Like, if, if someone comes up to you and says, I'm a 7-Eleven clerk, do you automatically trust them less? I'm actually pretty uh, pretty trustworthy of my clerks. Yeah, you're pro-clerk. Um, I actually took a look into my own portfolio here to see who I trusted the most before yeah. I looked at the infographic and I stack up pretty decently with the majority of the public. Yeah. Uh, number one, I think my doctor, I doctors. trust him. I take his word pretty much as law. And doctors, I believe were like third or fourth on the list. Yeah. Doctors are way up there. Sure. Uh, number two, I said my banker. I trust my banker because I believe he knows a lot more about the financial industry than I do. Okay. And then number three, I would have to say my third grade teacher, Mr. Burkhart. So <laughs> was he on the infographic? I didn't see Mr. Burkhardt no, he wasn't. The, he, he wasn't actually on it, but he was the he was actually the face that the, <laughs> the head of the When you look at grade school teachers <laughs> in the dictionary, I think that's that's the where infographic it comes up. was just, was just Mr. Uh, Burkhardt. Yes. Who um yeah. who don't you trust? I don't really trust lobbyists. You don't trust. Lobbyists. I spent some time working in the state senate, so I okay. I know what, a little bit of what goes on behind right. closed doors. I don't trust 
most elected officials. Yeah. Um, I was sad to see that hardly anybody trusts journalists anymore. I also found that concerning newspaper reporters and TV reporters were at 25% and 23% respectively. Yeah. And I, that was very concerning. That's very well, I low. Think, very I think, low. I think that this is a nice segue. So I, I'm not sure who I trust because I generally hate and, and don't trust anyone in this world. <laughs> uh, but maybe that's my own feeling. I'm 0% for uh, everyone. Exactly. You're all, you're all... Uh, agreed. I mean, 1%. We'll give everyone Everyone's a little bit a of a right. benefit of the doubt here. So it's tough for me to say who I trust the most. But I, I can tell you exactly who I trust the least. Police officers, especially now, mm. I, are, are very low on my scale. Um, not that I have a lot of run-in with uh, police oh, officers. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, uh, I think as we can see in this in this climate, I, I think there's some there's some major flaws there. I, maybe it's how we're selecting police officers, or maybe it's the individuals themselves. But uh, with that being said, on a whole, uh, in the United States, I would not trust a police force. I now, think just anyone, a quick question, yep. Eamon. Is that idea of a police officer in your mind, is that fed by the journalists that you also don't trust? Hold on. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, I agree. I think that um, you know lobbyists and politicians are very much the same, and I think they're almost in bed with anyone who finds himself in front of the television. So that includes actors. That includes anyone. of. Uh, I think it's all fake, right? <laughs> anyone you see on TV, they, they're performing. So journalists, I would offer a little bit more support to uh, anyone who's you know not not providing a face, but instead uh, writing uh, you know investigative journalism mm-hmm. would be different. News reporters are literally the most vapid people I've ever met in my entire life. They are a face. They're reading what someone else wrote, and they are solely there to get. Uh, ratings, mm. so they they can sell advertising. You can mostly trust them to be consistent, though, yeah, because they are empty shells. Fair, agreed. <laughs> but again, that doesn't mean that you trust them as a sure. as a profession. Profession. Um, Just trust their empty consistency. Yeah. Where where I think that we're losing from a journalistic perspective is that unfortunately we are going towards ratings again mm. as in as a kind of a different sale. So in, yeah. as we shift and pivot to media being a digital sphere and then video as a, a big buzzword that we see here in media as a whole, the pivot to selling. digital, it's about selling advertising. Right. It's no longer about the story. They have to be entertaining. There's small little clips, sound bites, uh, clickbait, if you yeah. will. So instead you're losing the long form journalism where you would have like the, the Woodwards of the world mm. that would go in and do like a huge investigative with integrity now it's like, oh, we got something people are going to click on and our advertiser will pay for? Great. Put it out there. So, so I think that's where we're losing integrity there. Uh, and I think that so that's just, being felt across the board. So just, you know, TV reporters, not trustworthy, would be lower on your rating. Newspaper uh, reporters, higher, yes. but decreasing. decreasing. They're on the hot seat. On the hot seat, They're on absolutely. the hot seat with Eamon. On the hot seat, right. yes. So it's interesting that you kicked it off on number one least trustworthy yeah. <laughs> police that's a that's yes. a comment on his personality i um, think is that like let me tell you the people i have problems with yeah, yeah. got a lot of problems with you people <laughs> you're gonna hear about to hear about them uh no but the police i i am a little bit torn there i lived in missouri and, not, and not real quickly away. just just so you know uh yeah. it seems like the audience was as well the police officers were at 56 percent, which yeah. i wrote okay. i thought seems about high half half. but it's about half and half so, so literally, it feels like we as a country are torn yeah. on how we feel about police rights. Well, so. I agree. I think also, sorry, not sorry, to cut you off for a sec, but I, I think it's interesting because every single person that you know has some kind of connection with a police officer. For me, it happens to be my wife's best friend's fiance is a police officer. So they're not all bad, but as a whole, uh, they are 
untrustworthy across the board. Sure, and it's hard to make these sweeping generalizations for any kind of you know uh, professional or profession or person of any type. But um, you know, I'm I'm especially torn about the police because when I lived in Missouri for a spell, I was there during the riots outside of St. Louis, and I saw every day all of these new reports of gas bombings mm. and tasing and you know just general beating and awfulness. Right. And then, not a few weeks after, in my small community, I went and spent a bunch of time with community police officers who had beats in low-income areas. Mm. They were there every day. All the people in the town knew them. They all got along. They would bring lunches into the kids at the local schools and eat with them. So, again, that's that dissonance that I was feeling whether I should trust the police or not trust the police. But sure. really, it's, it's uh, all gray area. I yeah, think. It'd be interesting to see uh, this poll years over time and see whether it's increased or decreased. And, and to be honest, I bet it's kind of stayed the same. I bet think people are just getting more extreme with their feeling on police. I would, I would, um, actually, I would actually disagree. I think it has greatly decreased, I would say. I think right. there was a, uh, they were held in very high regard. In the past, I think, I think if we're talking 30, 40, 50 years ago, yes, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking the past 10 or so. Yeah, I mean, you've got Obama, you got the start of Obama era is sure. what I'm thinking. You know, the, I think the it policeman swinging his billy club, right, wrestling down around the sidewalk. The yeah, yeah, walking the beat. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to say, and I want to run this by you real quickly, then sure. we'll move on. Um, the fact that grade school teachers were so trusted surprised me. And I think when I think back, it's similar to what Zach was saying. Like, oh, you know, I can talk about Mr. Eckenrode and Miss Gibbs, who I had in grade school, and I trust them, yes. And if they walked in, I would probably trust them, uh, you know, in, in any situation. But as I, as I became an adult, I realized that a lot of these grade school teachers are people in their 20s and 30s. Like, I, I go to a bar in New York City, and there are grade school teachers getting wasted. These people should not be in charge of children. Like, my my faith and loyalty to grade school t- Am I the only one who does not trust grade? Because I'm like, now I'm, I'm where when I become a parent, I'm, I'm, my kids are meeting the grades. I go to back to school night, and I'm looking at a 25-year-old. Like, I know what I was doing on a Thursday night as a 25-year-old. That's just kind of all of adulthood, though. Is that all I mean, of adulthood? You take a peek behind the curtain and you see what's really going on Is sure. it, especially i don't know about you guys but 82 percent nurses they know how to party <laughs> they, they know how to party you go to a bar you're talking about the same bar yeah. next to the grade school teachers are the nurses i still and trust they, them to I, stick an iv in my arm absolutely for yeah. some some reason um you know they're they're still able to perform when they wake up the next morning i go on a bender i can't even wake up and go out of bed they're <laughs> able to get up put an iv in and get get it going but I think that you can certainly teach or, or um, trust um, grade school or middle school or even high school teachers at a high degree. Can you think of anyone who chose for their profession in life to deal with 30-plus unruly <laughs> children? I mean, they're altruists. Yeah, I wouldn't they trust someone who thinks really. that. Oh, they're, they're either altruistic or they're, they're psychopaths. I think uh, that, I mean, it can't be pay because they don't get paid That's enough. fair. They have to love what they're doing and they have to really care about the children. So I think yeah. that's why... You see it at a high, such a high, uh, and that's rate. and that's what's interesting too. I think you touched on it right there. Is that the jobs higher up in this uh, poll were, were typically uh, not getting paid as well as the right. ones at the bottom, lobbyists, business executives, lawyers. Uh, sure. So I think there's a direct correlation there. Yes. Um, moving on to the partying, uh, we're going to talk about weed. Uh, with marijuana becoming legal in California on January 1st, the Cannabis Industry Annual Report projected that the sales of medical and recreational marijuana are taking off in 2018. Sales of medical and recreational marijuana, they're going to reach $4.75 and $6 billion this year, respectively. Um, and by 2023, both forms of the drug will be higher than $20 billion 
dollars before hitting 24 billion um, in the year 2025. Um, however, it's worth noting the report predicts that the growth of recreational sales will start noticeably slowing down um, by about 2021. So, Eamon, let me start with you. Um, I think we all agree that sales uh, that the market is going to grow for both recreational and medical marijuana. Do you expect that growth, the recreational, is going to to kind of plateau and and to plateau that quickly? Uh, no, I certainly don't. I I don't think when you introduce something from a legal standpoint, you're going to see it it turn out. I think that we can take some parallels from the alcohol industry here. Uh, I think it's very hard to quantify, first and foremost, what the market for recreational marijuana is mm. at this point in time, uh, just based on the fact that uh, it was illegal and these were behind closed doors, uh, door deals. Um, so I think anytime you, you introduce a new way of getting high, because we can all agree, if there's one thing in life that all human beings have in common, it is... We like to get high, regardless if it's marijuana, alcohol, or whatever your drug of choice is. Even if it's running, running, and you get yeah. a runner's high. Yeah. I don't get people that one. love. I don't either. I, <laughs> I, I look at a you're doing uh, it wrong. I look at a yeah. treadmill, and I, I get the opposite of a high. I don't know what that is, but uh, in any event, um, I think that you know that it's always going to grow, especially if you make it safer, make it less mm. uh, less of an obstacle to to purchase. Yeah. Uh, make it more mainstream. Uh, you know, obviously, there's still going to be people that are going to be, you know, waving their finger at you because you're smoking marijuana. But I think the the more normalized it becomes, the more it's going to become an option for individuals who might not otherwise have found that as an outlet. Uh, so I don't think it's going to plateau. I think you hit. I think it's going to continue yeah. to grow. Normalized was was the word you used there. I yeah, think, I think that's exactly it. But I think normalization will have a completely different effect. I think absolutely there will be. It's not going to be cool anymore? No, I think, you know, (laughs) when you introduce something new uh, to a society, everybody's going to give it a try. Like the Amazon Echo. Oh, yeah. So buying from... Contrarian. So so we may see an increase in recreational users over a short period of time. You know, they'll have it, they'll try it, they might do it for a sustained period, maybe a year or so, but like most people... And marijuana, they might eventually grow out of it. Outgrow it, yeah. Sure. So I think it's going to be just a quick rise and then a plateau. I think the number of habitual weed smokers will Mm -hmm. stay the same. Where I think we will continue to see some very steady growth is in the medical industry. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep, now that this is legal and will be legal across most states, we're going to keep subsidizing it. We'll create new ways, uh, new homeopathic remedies. Mm. My, uh, My wife was looking into bath bombs made with THC oil. Bath bombs? Yeah. Like Is you, that a bit like a bomb cyclone? Yeah, like a bomb, <laughs> bomb cyclone, cyclone that we had in New York. Uh, no, you throw a bath bomb and it fizzes and then it helps relax your muscles and everything. Oh, so taking the oils, uh, making it into these homeopathic remedies, I think we're going to see a lot of people trying to explore would, these. Would one be, argue that that would be recreational use, however? That sounds medical to me. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds medical. I'm going to put it on my insurance. If a bath <laughs> is yeah. recreation, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it could be. Depends on how many rubber duckies you own. Fair, fair. Sure. <laughs> um, and the answer to that is never enough. You never have enough rubber Agreed. duckies. That's true. Agreed. Um, one quick uh, weed anecdote here. Um, we had a separate infographic back in December. Um, it was based off of a Pew Research Center data um, that showed in 2011, for the first time, most Americans said that, yes, marijuana should be legal uh, as opposed to no. Uh, that number has continued to grow. And as recently as um, this past year, 
Uh, 64% of Americans thought that marijuana should be legal. Now, obviously, District Attorney Jeff Sessions, he's come out and he said that it shouldn't be. Um, so we seem to have right now this, this crosswords where the Republican Party is representing themselves as anti-marijuana, but the country seems to be you know, really loosening up to this. And, and like I said, 64%. Um, but this is not currently a hot-button issue. I don't think... I think it's very rare to find someone who says, I'm voting for this party because of weed. Um, is that going to change? You know, Jeff Sessions digging in. Is, is this something that's going to become a political issue anytime soon, in your opinion? I mean, it's been a mildly important political issue yeah. for some years past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the real trouble is, is to get that massive amount of recreational and habitual pot smokers together and actually excited about something. <laughs> yes. So <you're>, well, tell <laughs> them about the bath <laughs> Other than, their, yeah, other than their couch. No, I'm just chips, kidding. Yeah. I think uh, it, it kind of seems like something that's going to sweep across the nation eventually, no matter what. Yeah. Um, we'll have people eventually who aren't like Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. in these positions, and it's it just seems mildly inevitable at this point. You don't see any... Right. So there'll be long, no long time, uh, long-term blowback for the Republican Party being the, the party that was against... I guess they call them doobies no, if I you're think, a Republican. I think you might. And I think it's it's similar to like to hark back to the alcohol. I think you mm-hmm. might see that in history. But I don't think there's going to be a major outcry across the nation and make it such a major political thing. Mm-hmm. However, in the history books, you know, the Republican Party might be the ones that were against and stalled the growth and the freedom of the people or whatever mm-hmm. as it relates to it. Uh, but again, I don't think it's going to be. I mean, you already see the impact. Uh, every every year they have, or every election they have, the infographic or the, uh, the interactive chart with Wolf Blitzer pointing to <laughs> which country or which uh, uh, state is green and what's going on there. So I think it's happening. It's a political issue. It's fun to talk about, but I don't think it sways many people. Um, and for the next two election cycles, that may be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as Zach said, I think it's going to happen. It's going to be inevitable. It's yeah. going to sweep. Um, and then you may have some holdouts like you had with alcohol, um, but overall it'll be just normalized again, to use that phrase again, Mm -hmm. and then it'll become more of a political issue as it relates to safety of use Mm. and how do we tax this and how do we make it uh, uh, an economic powerhouse for uh, the country as a whole. Could you see Wolf Blitzer using a bath bomb? I think Wolf Blitzer is currently in a bath bomb. I think that's, I think that's what we're... I doing. think I could see Wolf using a bath bomb, but not enjoying it. Not enjoying <laughs> it. Not, not doing it right. Right. Um, you may call it the situation room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the last thing we're going to talk about today ties back to smartphones. According to a Deloitte Global Mobile uh, Consumer Survey from July, yeah, from July 2017, <laughs> U.S. smartphone owners check their phones over 45 times a day. 85% use their smartphones while talking to friends and family. And over 80% check their phones within an hour after getting up or before going to sleep. So uh, let's get personal. Uh, Eamon, do you have a smartphone addiction you want to tell us about? No, I mean, I, I think this is a very interesting uh you know, topic overall. I think, um, you know, very sim- very similar. I saw a uh, article the other day that was talking about, are you addicted to chapstick? Uh, yes. Yes, I am addicted to chapstick. I think you are, yeah. I use chapstick I'm, I'm glad all you the brought time. It up. And for our I'm listeners glad. at home, this man wears a lot of a lot chapstick. Of, a lot and of not chapstick. just on his lips. Yeah. Like, this I, is this is a total face covering. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is, I mean, sure, you may have an addiction <laughs> to chapstick, but the side effects and and overall outcome is who cares? I think that's very similar to what we have here with these these smartphone addiction. I think it's very overblown. Uh, I think obviously people use the smartphones a lot differently. 
then you would use uh, other devices or other things. But I think it's just become an integral part of people's everyday lives. Uh, I use my a you know my smartphone to check my email every day, and of course, when I wake up in the morning. Uh, within an hour, I'm going to check my email to see if I got something from either my boss or a client or a coworker that needs immediate attention. So waking up within and then checking your smartphone within an hour, I think, is a hilarious way of looking at this. <laughs> um, so no, I know, and I'm not, I'm not at all addicted to it in the sense that I'm not able to have fun without it or anything like that. It's right. not like a dependency of that sort. But I am going to use it quite a bit, and it has become uh, a way to settle bar disputes. It's a way to navigate, uh, especially if someone's like, hey, we're going to meet at X, Y, and Z place. Right. The restaurant, I don't know where that is. Let me check it out. Let me get there. But yeah, I mean, for email navigation and becoming an integral part of your everyday life and how to navigate this, this place we call society, <laughs> I think perhaps we are addicted, but again, who cares? Yeah, I mean, if those are the requisites for addiction... Then yeah. I'm addicted. Okay. I mean, I, I obviously check my phone an hour after waking up and an hour before bed. I check it also in between those times. Correct. And I take a look at my text messages. I do enjoy leaving the house and leaving it at home, but that's only for a couple hours. You know, I mean, it's nice to just turn off and tune in. So mm. they say, as you walk around town or go grab a bite to eat, but still, I mean, I come back and, and check it immediately. And even if I don't want to, even if I don't love having to look at it all the time, I feel like I need to if I need to stay in touch with my family who I don't live close to. Mm -hmm. Or if there is something important coming in from work and if I miss it, you know, that could cost me in the yeah. long run. So I feel like we kind of have to be connected at all times now. I agree. I agree with that. I, I There's a, a story I have. A, um, we were out hiking. I was hiking with some friends in college and... Um, after a couple of those uh, bath bombs we were discussing, and uh, I remember saying to a friend, being like, "Oh, you know, if they, you know, if we were hiking 50 years ago, we wouldn't have our phones. Let's just leave our phones. Like it'll be so cool. Like you know, in one with nature and blah blah blah." A friend of mine goes, "No, we have the phones now. Why not use it? Like yeah. this is safer." And um, getting back to the addiction thing, I mean, I, to be honest, I got to disagree with you guys a little bit. I'm I'm totally addicted, and there is. It's not an addiction like, uh, you know, it's not a problem for me. It's not a drug addiction. It's not damaging me physically. Um, but there's times like if I don't have my phone on me, if I'm going for a run or if I'm, you know, for whatever reason don't have it on me, I'll like touch my pocket. And I'll, there, there's a physical, and if that's the definition of, of an addiction, I'm having a physical reaction because it's not around. I think that is, sure. yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, but that's concerning in the same way that, like, I'm, I'm addicted to coffee. And so if I drink too much, if I don't have enough coffee, I get a headache. Like, that doesn't affect, you know, I'm not, you guys are looking at me. Am I, am I in trouble here? Uh, no, is, no, is, is I, just, I was thinking, it made me think. Now I'm scared. Uh, like, am I? I read uh, about this new, this new tick that people are getting. It's, uh, they're calling it some sort of psychological phenomenon that's going around. It's... The phantom buzz. The phantom buzz, yeah. yeah. I've experienced I mean, how many bus. times a day or a week do you pull out your phone thinking that somebody's giving you a call, but it's well, I'm just very your popular, leg twitching. So I figured that... Well, maybe it's always actually ringing for you. Maybe. Maybe. But if I you, get the phantom buzz. If you had the phantom buzz, Eamon? I've never had the phantom buzz, uh, but I'm also not very popular. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've not been... Uh, uh, a it's because you don't trust anybody. You don't, you don't trust nurses. You don't trust yeah. cops. You know? I, don't, I don't salivate when my phone rings or anything <laughs> like that. So I don't have the uh, uh, you know the 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 level of interaction with my phone that I that you guys have. But I think an important point is that I don't use social media networks. So I think that might be a, a difference here. I don't 
I don't have that need for gratification if someone mm. liked my post or someone sent me a message on Facebook or uh, has retweeted or anything like that. Um, I stay clear of those. I don't. I don't participate it's in those. Yankee season. Unless it's Yankee, Yankee well, that's season. A news source. But that's that's a news source. That's the Yankees mm. app and it's the MLB <laughs> app. And yeah. you know that's different. That's, or picks can pick them. Or or picks can pick them. But that's <laughs> that's uh, that's also different. Also. Yeah. So, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, right now we're we're in on the streak. Uh, yeah, got the a good streak going at the moment. Where, where's your streak at right now? It's at four. So. Uh, and I know, feel like going. now we have to say this episode is not sponsored by the streak or picks can yeah, pick them. Yeah. Let's be very clear. We have no way of paying <laughs> or, or, yeah. or affording any of that. Just fans so. of the service. Yeah, it's great. When when my mother listens to this later, hearing about uh, the bad bombs, I mean, she'll be like, oh, you guys aren't <laughs> sponsored by the streak. Um, it seems like a good place to end it. So that way when we pick this up next week, we'll be able to check in on how Eamon's streak is doing. Um, just a friendly <laughs> reminder, all the infographics we discussed today, all the stats we discussed are available to you. Just visit Statista.com, chart of the day, and you can have those delivered to your inbox on a weekly basis. Zach, Eamon, thank you guys so much for staying late at the office with me today to take care of this. And uh, thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Have a good one. Great evening. Switch up. Switch up.